pray that you'd be present in every act of this service this morning, Lord. We pray that you'd be present in the words that I speak, in the words that are heard, and that you would transform us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me tell you, it feels pretty good to be standing up here getting ready to preach again after the past few weeks. For those of you who don't know, I went through some weird health things. Uh, a disc in my neck was pushing on my spinal cord, and I was having difficulty talking. I have a friend of mine I was on the phone with. He goes, man, have you been drinking? And I was like, no, I'm trying to talk clearly, but I just my words were slurred. I could, couldn't walk very well. My hands wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. It was really scary for a moment there. But I will tell you that there is nothing like having a whole church of people and people around the world praying for you. The peace of God, as I had people texting me and calling me, was so present in a time where I could have been freaking out. Because everywhere I went, the doctors were like, we have no idea what's happening. Now, there's two ways you can take that. It's like, well, it's not one of the big bad things that they thought it was. But you could also take it like, they don't know what it is. And what am I going to do? And I just want you all to know, especially um, those who were praying that, man, God was so faithful during that time. I was trying to explain um, to Marie Madison the other day. I was like, yeah, it was hard. It was totally difficult. And I had difficulty focusing. I mean, there were so many things going on. But I had no pain and I had no fear. God just like met me in those places. And so I just started praising God. Man, every day I woke up, no pain, and I just had this peace that God was working things out for his benefit. And so I just wanted to say, I wanted to share that story, first of all, to thank you for you who prayed, but also to say that no matter what comes into your life, there's always two ways you can experience it. Well, maybe there are infinite ways, but at the very least, there's two. There's one where you try and press into what God has for you in that time. And then there's one where we try and control the situation, where we try and fix the situation. And I could have been my own doctor and gone online and researched everything. And that was definitely a temptation. And I I actually told myself, I just was like, I'm not going to look this up. Because I knew that as soon as I started doing that, my own desire to fix myself would kick in and I would be lost to the uh, anxiety of the WebMD and all the other things you can find. And that brings us neatly to the subject of what we're talking about today. Today I'm going to be talking about worship. And worship's not just about singing praises. It's not just about taking the Eucharist, right? We say the Eucharist is our highest form of worship. It's not about some of the things that we often associate with it. It's Largely about acknowledging that God is God and you are not. That's the central premise of what we're talking about today. God is God and you are not. And that's what I had to acknowledge in that moment of helplessness. I had to rely on what God was doing in me. So as we talk about this, I wanted to use some analogies here because I kind of came up with this uh, three-part series and God's been really speaking to me over the past little bit as I haven't been preaching. And they're all meant to address one big problem. And that is the culture in which we find ourselves. Now, that's a word that's used far too often. 
The culture. Our business culture is going to be this. Our church culture is this. We've got to fight the culture in America. But I don't think we really know what it means very much. So I'm going to use a couple of examples that might elucidate what I'm trying to say in this moment, might illustrate this. Uh, culture is like the ocean, which makes a lot of sense to us in St. Clemente, right? We get to see it every day on my way home. I look at the ocean and just thank God for that beautiful view that we get to see the vastness of it. But there's a couple things that we can use as analogies as we talk about this. A man once thought to ask a fish about water. Because wouldn't a fish give you the most profound answer about water? I mean, nobody knows water better than a fish. So he got the fish and he said, hey, what is water? And he's waiting, you know, he's going to have this big revelatory moment. And the fish goes, what is water? A fish doesn't know what water is. The fish is immersed in water. The last person you should ask about water is a fish. They just live in it. They just exist in it. It doesn't, they don't see it. They don't recognize it as something separate. It's just the place in which they live. And same thing with culture. You may not know it, but you are immersed. You are swimming through and living and breathing the culture that we are surrounded in. And so what I'm hoping is through this series is that we can see a couple of the ways in which we might be being pulled in a certain direction by our culture without even realizing it. In fact, when you get into the ocean, there's a couple of dangers that come with being in the ocean, especially when you're going out swimming or surfing or boogie boarding. First of all, there's the waves. That's the first thing you notice. But for those of us who've grown up in a beach town, you know the waves are not all that dangerous compared to the current. The current is what's really dangerous. Now, my analogy here is the waves are kind of like those headlines that we react to in our culture, right? The ones that really get you going, you know, they're going to change the curriculum and the public schools and they're going to be talking about all these things. And then you see the big line, the teacher who's trying to teach her kids the liberal view or the leftist view or the secular view or the atheist view, whatever it is, whatever the splashy headline of the day is, that's kind of like a wave. And if you've ever tried to beat a wave, you know that punching it, tackling it, it just doesn't work. The headlines are not the problem. They're a symptom of the problem. They are informative of where the direction of our culture is going, but there's deeper things going on. There's a current that you got to be aware of in our culture. And there's a couple things about currents. Number one, you guys have all had this experience where you're out in the waves, you know, and you're playing and it, 20 minutes later, you look over and you're 50 yards north or south, depending on where the current's taking you. All of a sudden, you've moved. You didn't do anything different. You didn't swim in a different direction, but all of a sudden, you've moved. And in the same way, if we examine our lives and we think about the values that we have, the ways that we live our life, I think all of us are being pulled downstream by our culture. All of a sudden, we're living our lives in a way that's more similar to the culture around us than to the church, the kingdom in which we belong. All of a sudden, our views on certain topics that were so fast, we're like, well, maybe that's not so bad. Well, that's good for them. All of a sudden, everything in our life is getting reoriented around our cultural values and norms. 
And I think that that's accelerating and happening more than ever. And we need to be more than ever aware of that right now. Because the great power of culture is its normalizing effect. What that means is, in our culture, things that we know are wrong are normal. And our reactions to it, over time, become less and less averse to that that thing, right? Now, the good news is that we actually are not a part of this culture. Or let me say it this way. We're called to be a part of a better kingdom. We're called to live in the kingdom of God. And so there's antidotes in the Bible to the culture that we are surrounded by. There are ways that we can live that isn't about fighting culture, but about changing our culture. Us here in this room. The way that you guys in the pews live affects me and my culture. Because we're a community living life together. Did you know that if you hang out with a bunch of drug addicts, it's going to be really difficult to make good choices? Because their culture is going to pull you in their direction. In the same way, the the joy that I get, that I get to hang out with people like you all, is that I can count on the fact that I'm going to be hanging out with people who are going to be pushing me in the right direction and not the wrong direction. That's why I've loved having home group over the past year and a half is I'm spending time with people talking about things that are pointing me in the middle of my week back in the right direction. They're reorienting me in the midst. And then I go back out and I'm back in the culture and I'm driving, I'm working, I'm doing my things. And then I get reoriented. It's always this push and this pull. And it's, it's God transforming us to be more like him. So today I'm going to talk about one of the greatest antidotes to the pull of our culture, and that is worship. Worship changes you. And so as we go forward, the next two are going to be about welcome and wonder. But these are the three things that I think we need. We need to be a people of worship, welcome, and wonder as an antidote to our culture that we live in today. Now, right now, the greatest pull of our culture is what I've termed, borrowed from some people, the cult of self. The worship of self. And just like any religion, there are some precepts that go into this cult of self, this worship of self. And so I titled these the six commandments of the cult of self. I'm going to give you a couple of statistics as we right when we jump into this. Recently, They did these surveys of the American people, and these are things that are kind of hints of what's going on in the undercurrent of all of these things, right? And what they said is 86% of Americans, sorry, 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. 84%. Further, 86% believe that to enjoy yourself You must pursue the things you desire most. And 91% affirm this statement. To find yourself, look within yourself. In our day, the Westminster Catechism, you guys have probably heard of it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's been inverted. 
The chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy himself forever. That's what the pull of our culture is towards. And even if you think, well, I know that's not true. I want to argue that it's about more than having a fact in your mind that that's not true. It's about the pull that we all experience. In order to stay at one place in the ocean, you actually have to fight the current. You can't just sit there. It will pull you away. That's what it does. We actually have to do things to keep ourselves from becoming pulled into this idea that the chief end of my life is to glorify myself and enjoy myself forever. Now, let's go through these commandments because I do. I want you all to know the reason why I love preaching on this right now is because I feel the conviction to everything that I'm saying. Every one of these hits me in some place. And so I'm hoping that it resonates with you as we talk about these things. First, your mind is the source and standard of truth. So no matter what, trust yourself. Hashtag, the answers are within. You guys know that hashtag actually gets used frequently by these super wise influencers. The answers are within. Well, in scripture we see in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So where are the answers? Are they in yourself? I don't think so. If you think the answers are within yourself, think of the person in your life that you think you're better than. Let me phrase this a little differently. We all know an idiot. (laughs) Remember the fact that you are somebody else's idiot and think (laughs) if that person is looking within themselves, what's happening in their life? We're no better than anybody else. We need Jesus. So remember, you're somebody else's idiot, and don't look within yourself. Look to Jesus. Right? We're not going to be in this cult of self. Number two, your emotions are authoritative. So never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Hashtag follow your heart. That's the key message in much of children programming today. Let me tell you. And you know what? It's no better in the adult movies. If you think that you're going to get there by following your heart, then remember this verse, Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I don't know about you, but one of these sounds more true than the other. (laughs) If I'm honest with myself, I know that the fruit of my deeds shows when I follow my heart, things go weird. Things go wonky and things go straight up bad. God himself is the one who wants to test your heart, test your mind, and lead you in the way. Let's go back. Jesus is the way, not the way your heart is pointing. Let's go on to the next one. Commandment number three, you are sovereign. So flex your omnipotence and bend the universe around your dreams and desires. Hashtag live your truth. Now that one's hard, right? Why is it hard? Because I like my dreams and my desires. I'm a big fan. 
I really like the things that I like. But Exodus tells us, you shall have no other gods before me. What is a dream or a desire outside of God? That's an idol. That's a worship misdirected. Next one. Number four. You are supreme. So always act according to your chief end to glorify and enjoy yourself forever. Hashtag YOLO. Basically, do whatever you want because you only live once. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly waiting for him. So what do you want to do? You want to live for now? You want to live for this day? You want to live for this life? Carpe diem? Seize the day? You only live once? Or do you want to live for eternity? It's like when an investor, you go in and you meet with this guy. I had a couple friends in college who were learning how to do that and wanted to meet with me. And they're saying, okay, well, how much do you want to save? And when do you want to have this much money? Well, you know what? Their advice was very different if I said, I want this investment to mature in a year. Then if I said I want to, this investment to mature in 30 years, right? You invest differently. Well, in the same way, if you're living for this life, you're living very differently than if you're living for eternity. Talk about compound interest. I'm serious. If you think about how much better your life can be if you keep investing in God and his purposes for eternity, it beggars imagination. Now, I don't want to be that guy who's like, man, I'm just living for heaven. And so, you know, the the quote is uh, something about they live so much for heaven, they have no earthly good. Like, obviously, I'm not arguing that we need to go out and be monks who pray and fast all day and just seek Jesus because I'm living for eternity. That's not it. In fact, you only have this one life to live for Christ. Right? You only have this one life to build your family, to invest in your children, to do all of the things that it takes to live in the kingdom of God. And it's not because you and your works and your power are going to build this thing, and then when you get to heaven, God's going to be like, man, your life, you did so good. No. It's actually about letting go of all of that and living for eternity right now. You actually get to build the kingdom of God by just cooperating with what he wants to do, by turning your will and affection towards him, by worshiping God alone. This is exactly the opposite of what everyone in our culture is being taught, and it's exactly the opposite of where the current of our culture is taking even us in the church. Let's get through the last two commandments here. Number five, you are the sumum bonum. I threw some Latin in there to feel smart. You are the standard of goodness. You are the ultimate good. So don't let anyone oppress you with the antiquated notion of being a sinner who needs grace. Hashtag never change. I see that everywhere. You are so great, never change. But let's look at Romans chapter 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You are not the ultimate good. 
And it only takes one glance in the mirror to know that. We all know it. We are not the ultimate good. But man, if you say it enough, people will delude themselves. And I, I say people. We will delude ourselves into actually acting like we believe we are the ultimate good. Man, I serve Jesus so well. Man, I preach so well. Man, I love my wife so well. It just starts to build and you don't realize before you know it, you are the ultimate good. If only everybody could be like me. If you've ever had that thought, stop, please. You're going in the wrong direction. I'm telling you, we, we laugh and we see all these commandments and we're like, yeah, those heathens. Maybe you never use the hashtag, but I promise you it lives in your heart somewhere. And then Jesus, right, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our call is always to change, literally, always. Never stop changing because he wants to take you from glory to glory. Now, I want one more point on this. You can't tell somebody who's depressed, who's anxious, who's insecure, who knows their worthlessness to never change. You're great the way you are. That is a death sentence. The only hope we have is that you can change in Christ Jesus. When you're addicted, you don't need to hear never change. Oh, you mean my life just has to be this? I'm stuck here for eternity? No, 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 no. The hope we have in Christ is you can always change. And last, number six, you are the creator. So use that limitless creative power to craft your identity and purpose. Hashtag authenticity. This one's really dangerous. I see it a lot in the church. I'm just being my authentic self, and my church fired me as a pastor when I decided that I was a woman. And then people pile on on the tweets. Oh my gosh, you're being your authentic self. You, I can't believe that church didn't want you to be their pastor. You should go start your own church. You, hashtag never change. Hashtag YOLO. Hashtag authenticity. I'm not kidding you. I just read a whole thread of this stuff happening in a real person's life. What does that person need to hear right there? They need to hear Jesus loves you and he wants you to come back to him. That's what that person needs to hear. But instead, it's like, no, continue on this journey of self-discovery. You're so brave. If you see somebody saying you're so brave, you can almost guarantee that they're following one of these hashtags. I promise. That's because it's surrounded our culture. We're the fish in water. And people don't even know that our whole value system is flipped upside down. What is it? What's the response to this hashtag authenticity? Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. So what's in there? A whole lot that we don't have time to talk about. But let me just point out, you are not the creator. You are the created. And you have been created for a particular purpose. And the only joy, the only fulfillment, the only goodness that you can have in your life is when you walk into that purpose. Not when you try to be who you really are. Stop striving to be authentic. Seek who you are in Christ, who he has made you to be. Man, there is so much comfort in that fact. 
I can't imagine believing all of these, being so unaware of God's goodness that I thought I was the source of all goodness. I was the source of all truth. I was just had to be authentic to myself. I just have to be more like myself. That leads to destruction. And all of these things that I'm talking about are not because God's like naughty, naughty. No, because he's like inviting us. He's inviting us to, to lay down our idols and to worship the only being who is worthy of our worship. Now, the antidote to this, I sum up in this phrase, let all that you do declare that I am not the glowing center of the universe. Your whole life should be a testimony to the goodness of God, not a testimony to yourself. Now, specifically, where does this manifest in the church? A couple of weeks ago, I felt like I got this word and it's been stirring in me that basically we use the church as scaffolding to build our lives. The biblical picture is that we are living stones coming together to build the household of God. In 1 Peter, it says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Man, I was feeling really good about that revelation, right? I was like, man, God, that's a great word. Everybody needs to hear that. We're not using the church as a scaffolding to build my family, my life, my thing. In fact, we are coming together as living stones. We're fit together and God works it all out so that we can build the kingdom of God. And I was so rah, rah, excited about this. And then I went through that sickness and I was laying on my back and helpless to do anything. And God came to me in his goodness and in his love. And he said, you know, you're the person I gave that word to. And I said, yeah. And he goes, because you need to hear it. And it was like the blinders fell off of my eyes. I was excited about the word, about using the church as a scaffolding to build your lives, because I thought it applied to all of you, not to me. I am building the church. What are you talking about? The voice whispers in your head. And God said, no, 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 no. You're getting caught up doing the things that are going to end up building your life, your career. I don't know if you guys know this, but my goal is to work in the church. My goal is to have a career in this church. So what happens when I build the church? Well, in my heart and mind, something subtle had shifted where I was striving to make the church the best it could be so that my life could be the best it could be. Now, it doesn't mean I wasn't doing good things, but good things with a bad attitude are not good. And God confronted me with that, and he said, you're the one at the greatest danger right now of falling prey to this. And it just broke my heart because I thought, man, you're right. But you know what happened? It wasn't shame that I felt at that moment, but relief. Because if it's on my shoulders to build the church and to build my life, I am hopelessly going to fail. But if it's about building the kingdom of God and trusting God to build my life, that I can do. I can be just another worker. Building the kingdom of God, another stone fitted into the household of God. Through his grace, I can do that and trust him to build my life. But that's a word for all of us. 
We are so concerned with our, building our kids, building our families, building our careers, doing this, doing the right thing, looking the right way. When God's saying, man, build my kingdom, I'll take care of all of that. Jesus says it very succinctly in Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. He's talking about worrying about money and clothing and provision. And he says, don't worry about those things for the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's worship. Seeking the kingdom of God and trusting him to add all the other things to you. You lay it down, but you believe in a God of resurrection. So what does it matter to you if a dream of yours dies? He can resurrect it. He can bring it to pass or he can transform it. You know, some of your dreams are wrong. We already talked about how deceitful the heart is. Some of your desires need to be remade. That's what we mean when we say worship is turn your affection on him and let him order the rest of your life. I'm going to end with my last verse here. Psalm 37 Way at the end of the presentation here, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We could all just like sit in that verse. I know for myself, I needed to hear that word. We need to delight ourselves in the one thing that is worthy, in the one thing that matters. That's in the Lord. But guess what? There's a promise attached to it. He will give you the desires of your heart. This is only good news. Even if you have to give up something, even if you have to lay something down, I promise you this is only good news because he will give you the desires of your heart. So when we talk about worship, that's what I want you to think. Am I turning my affection towards him? And I'll just say this. True worship evolves over your life as you encounter the living God. None of this makes any sense unless God is real in your life. Now, you can have faith in him. You can hope in him. But I'm going to pray today that we all have encounters with him, that the Holy Spirit falls and transforms us. Because if you just strive, oh, I'm going to turn my affections. I'm going to do this. All you're worshiping is your own ability. But if we lay ourselves out and say, God, I need you to make this transformation in my heart, then you will have encounter. Amen? Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see the way that you are moving in our midst, the way that you are working in our life. I pray that you would reorient us from the ways that culture has tried to suck us towards of self-worship. And I pray that you would help us to lay our desires, our dreams down at your feet and turn all of our affection towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.